Welcome to Backstory, the show that explains the history behind the headlines. I'm Nathan Connolly. I'm Brian Bella. I'm Ed Ayers. And I'm Joanne Freeman. If you're new to the podcast, well, you're just in time. For the last episode, that is. After more than 12 years on your public radio airwaves and podcasting platforms, Backstory is coming to an end. And since we're a show that explores different aspects of American history, we thought there's no better topic for today's episode than a history of finales. So on this final episode of Backstory, we're going to look at different kinds of finales throughout American history. We'll consider the end of some legendary political careers and how presidential finales weren't always a given. We'll look at how social movements also come to ends and sometimes don't. And we're going to talk to University of Virginia men's basketball coach Tony Bennett to discuss the power of sports and how a big game can serve as a finale, whether you win or lose. Now, if you're anything like me, when you hear the word finale, the first thing you think of is, well, television. (laughs) So that's exactly where we're going to start with the boob tube. After all, television finales from Seinfeld to The Sopranos have become cultural touchstones. They're major television events that are debated for weeks, months, and sometimes even years later. But television finales weren't always the norm. In the early days of television, shows just kind of disappeared. So you have to know you're going to end in order to have a finale. Jennifer Cation Armstrong is the author of several books about television, and she says there was a time when popular series like Gilligan's Island simply went off the air without any sort of conclusion. Hold on a second, Ed. Are you saying that Gilligan is still on that darn island? It's quite possible, Brian, even though I'm thinking that Professor was not only quite attractive, but also quite sharp. I like to think he got him (laughs) off the island. But yes, Brian, you may be right. There was no finale for Gilligan's Island or many other shows like it, so he may still be there. Now, Jennifer says a lot of this had to do with technology. Shows like Gilligan's Island were standalone episodes, each one a little gem of sitcom perfection. (laughs) You didn't have to be a regular viewer to understand what was going on. That's because without a way for people to record their favorite show, TV execs couldn't guarantee that viewers would be able to catch every single episode. This started to change in the 1960s as some serialized dramas entered the television scene. But some of the most memorable finales, shows like MASH or The Mary Tyler Moore Show, were comedies, not dramas. So I asked Jennifer, when did finales for popular sitcoms become the norm? I might be a little bit biased here because I wrote a book about The Mary Tyler Moore Show Yeah. So I want to call it roughly around that time in the 70s. There was this wave of making what I would call essentially serious sitcoms. There were a few forerunners to this idea that that weren't as popular, that, you know, you could kind of take the sitcom format and inject some sense of seriousness into it. And I would guess that that was something to do with, you know, late 60s national mood. And so they started to have where, yes, we could laugh a little bit, but they're also addressing issues. And I think with that, taking sitcoms a little more seriously, 
we start to get into this idea that you might be interested in its finale. And in the case of the Mary Tyler Moore show, they, from day one all the way through to the end, really were into having like creative control over their show. And it was produced by Mary's production company, overseen by her husband, Grant Tinker at the time. And he was a real pioneer in kind of this idea of taking TV seriously. And they really decided together, all of the people at the top of that production decided going into their seventh season that it was going to be the end. And that was new too. Like it was very unheard of to say word, word declaring, like we, they could stay in business as long as they can make money, right? That was usually the way it worked and often still is, sometimes still is. But in this case, it was very unusual for them to say like, we've decided it feels right. Now is the time because we can see as artists that we are running out of things to say with the show and we want to end it properly. And Mary Tyler Moore was still really popular when it went out, right? Exactly. And this is where we start to get into this idea of going out on a high note. As you go forward in history, I mean, lots of creators will talk about this as you go forward, like the almost anxiety of like figuring out the exact right time. I remember talking to Michael Patrick King, who was the executive producer of Sex and the City and him saying like, his nightmare was to end up on one of those lists that says like, why is this show still on? And so you start to kind of want to get that exact moment where you're not leaving too much on the table, but you, you know, people still care and you can make a real statement with your finale. And it seemed Mary Tyler Moore show really did that. The other one I remember being a huge event at the time was MASH. Can you talk about that a little bit? How did that relate to the trajectory we saw on the Mary Tyler Moore show, if at all? Yeah, it's, I think, I feel like those two are kind of, of a piece. I would say I'd throw in MASH with that and the Norman Lear shows, kind of all those serious sitcoms, essentially. And yeah, so MASH was very similar in that it was very popular, but it was also recognized as as an artistic statement. And um, I think that's a really interesting one and very similar in a way to the Mary Tyler Moore show. Um, You know, the Mary Tyler Moore show ends with the state, the TV station she works at being sold and all of the characters we know basically losing their jobs, except... It's just hilarious. Except Ted Baxter, the one they've always made fun of, right? So it's a natural end point and goodbye point in human life that is reflecting what we're doing on the show, which is saying goodbye to the show. And um, MASH was similar. It was also a workplace comedy, as it turned out. You wouldn't think of both of these as basically the same format, but they are. And um, war ends, turns out. Uh, You know, this was technically, I would say technically because it, you people sort of tend to remember this as set in the Vietnam War, but it was set in the Korean War and a commentary on the Vietnam War. And, you know, they couldn't do that forever. So that they actually have it just end with the end of the war. And I think that's also a really interesting one, because obviously none of us grieve the end of any war. But it is a funny moment where you can see that the if you had spent all this time with people, like they did in a war and saying goodbye is still sad, even if it's like, yay, I get to go home and it's the end of the war. And we were sad with them. So Mary Tyler Moore is 77, MASH is 83. Uh, When is it that the VCR tape 
appears and that people can record shows? I mean, that's, I think that that's right around, um, you know, we're getting into it in the eighties and, um, I actually wonder, I don't even know if it's ever a factor like VCRs in really? finales huh. per se, I would say weekly viewing, you know, where you would start to realize like, Oh, I can record cheers. That means I can stay up on cheers, even if I go out on a Thursday night. But I think that this was still a time that you would really want to, and it's even still to some extent true to this day, even with all of our crazy technology now, that if it was a big enough show, you would want to watch the finale with everyone because that's like everyone was going to watch it and then come into work the next day and talk about it. Like the Seinfeld finale is a great example. That's not till the late nineties, but um, I would say even something like the cheers finale, even if it's like, of course, the, everything that happens is exactly what you think is going to happen. Um, you just want to be part of that moment. And that's why finales become so important to television because it's, the, it's one of the few times as recording technology becomes more prevalent, right. I think that, that finales become the one time people treat it a little bit like sports. Yeah. Appointment television, right? right? It's called, right? Yeah. Now, you made the controversial statement about Seinfeld. <laughs> and, uh, so l- l- let's just walk right into that because we're not afraid. All right. Of- I'm, I'm a pro on this one, so I can handle it. <laughs> well, I'd have to say, you know, in the moment, I recall people thinking it was disappointing. And so mm-hmm. when we were talking about doing this this conversation, I thought, well, gee, you know, that was s- somehow let let things down. But in preparation, we went and watched it again, and it's darn good. So am I right in remembering that people at the time were a little critical of it? Oh, my goodness. That is a vast understatement. I mean, <laughs> it is it's hilarious by modern times for a bunch of reasons, one of which just is like, given our news cycles right now, to see the way people were freaking out <laughs> about this stupid finale is hilarious. It was a good, we were having good times back in the late nineties when we could get this worked up about a sitcom finale. People were angry at that finale. And I have a very similar reaction to you. So I wrote a book about Seinfeld. You know, I have an entire chapter in the book about the hype leading up to the finale, the way that you know, there were like paparazzi trying to scale the walls of the studio to get a glimpse of what might happen. You know, they were shredding scripts every night. You would have to, if to leave the lot, they would take your script and shred it and make new scripts the next day. So nothing get out. Like this was the level. And it was one of these two hour extravaganzas and people were so angry. And I, when I revisited, I had very similar experience. Like I loved it. I think it is a piece of art that stands on its own. I think it makes a statement. I really admire when at least they try to do something interesting. And certainly Larry David, who came back to write the finale of Seinfeld, he had left the show for a while, but he came back to do this. Um, He is known for making statements. He did it with this. It feels very of a piece with his vision. And it's dark. I I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like it's a, and I think that's why people were angry, probably why they were angry in the very pleasant late nineties. Because it's a pretty existential type statement. Like I have made the argument that it has strands of like Sartre and like, you know, it's a very like no exit kind of 
statement. To me, the statement is these four people are stuck with each other. They're all kind of terrible. Nothing changes. Like the joke of the finale is that they're in a jail cell at the end together. And Jerry and George start having a conversation about the button placement on a shirt that is the exact same conversation that they started the entire series with. Oh, I, I, I noticed the the button conversation, but I didn't realize. And and the final line is, didn't we talk about this before? But I didn't realize that they that's had. why. That's oh. why. And then there's this beautiful as they have that conversation. There's a tracking shot out away from them that just shows them like shrinking in the frame. So I love it. I think it's great. But it does start. I would say in some ways it starts this era probably con- you know makes sense that it's concurrent with what we call the golden age of television in the 2000s and beyond kind of starts this era of like the statement finale you know where where a lot of finales make fans angry but it kind of feels like the creators are thinking we'd rather try for something and at least it gets them talking so perhaps you've given us a, a hint uh, if you had to choose a favorite finale what would it be I actually think it's the Mary Tyler Moore show. What I actually really love about the Mary Tyler Moore show is its simplicity. Like we were talking about it, it, they made it look easy. It seems like an obvious choice, but I think that's the whole point of the Mary Tyler Moore show. It's always so beautifully made from start to finish. And this is another example of like, they can really tap into the characters and the emotion of, of everything. And they saw here, Oh, we're saying goodbye to these characters. So those the characters should say goodbye to each other. And the reason that that's a famous finale is that one iconic scene where they're all saying goodbye in the newsroom and they do a group hug and they cry together and they realize, and so you're crying with them at this point, but then they immediately undercut it with a joke, which is they realize that they need Kleenex and it's too far away for anyone to reach. So they like skitter as an entire group hug to the desk where the Kleenex is. And that's iconic. And that's because it's like everything about the show in one moment. And it's also so simple. And they also made you feel what the characters were feeling. And you guys were, you know, you're mirroring them constantly. You're saying goodbye, they're saying goodbye. And then the last scene is that she walks out of the um, newsroom and she turns out the lights. And like, I'm still getting choked up thinking about it, which is ridiculous, you know, and it's so well done and it's so simple and it's the gold standard. And if you watch bad finales, which of which there are plenty, you see how, how well done this is because this just resisted every temptation. They didn't marry her off. They didn't have some kind of big happy ending. They didn't, you know, they didn't show you 17 years into the future and 27 years into the future. They just said like, these people are saying goodbye now, goodbye, and they let it alone. And to me, they no big gimmicks, no big tricks, and that is why I love it, but it's very hard to do. Jennifer Cation Armstrong is the author of several books, including Seinfeldia, How a Show About Nothing Changed Everything. She's also written the history of The Mary Tyler Moore Show. 